From Wondery, I'm Rufus Griscom, and this is a special episode of The Next Big Idea. So much has changed for so many of us in the last few weeks. All of a sudden, our houses and apartments feel like the worlds in which we travel. A living room that was so recently just a place to watch TV is now our habitat. So I've been looking at the confines of my environment in a new way, with greater appreciation for all the objects I used to ignore. Here's an example. In our living room, we have a framed poster that my wife and I bought 15 years ago. It's of a nun holding a liquor bottle. It was actually an ad for booze produced by a French convent in the 1890s. The nun, backlit in orange and yellow, is curvaceous and beautiful, apparently in a state of radiant joy, simply from the pleasure of holding the bottle. Why do I love this poster so? Is it the humor of sultry booze-peddling nuns, or is it the vibrant colors? This seems to me like a great moment to ask, what are the things around us that trigger joy? A comfortable chair, an old photo, a brightly colored bowl? or maybe a view of the backyard, it turns out these things can have a far greater impact on our state of mind than we realize. So I thought it would be a great time to get Ingrid Fatel lee on the phone. Ingrid was featured on the first season of The Next Big Idea. You may remember her. She was a design director at IDEO, the legendary design firm, before writing her brilliant 2018 book, Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness. The book's premise is simple yet profound. Ingrid says we're led to believe that happiness is something we can and should generate from within if we say the right mantras, adopt the right habits, and that an attraction to objects is somehow superficial. She turns that notion on its head, arguing instead that tangible objects can bring us intangible joy. And whether it comes from a potted plant, the melody of birds chirping, or a colorful nun, A little joy is something we could all use right about now. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Well, Ingrid, thank you for joining us for this special mini-series of the Next Big Idea podcast. I really appreciate your taking time out of your life to be with us. I'm so happy to be back with you. How are you and your family holding up? How how are you doing? We're doing well. Um, My husband and I are uh, staying at a cottage outside the city on Long Island, and I'm pregnant. I'm six months pregnant, so it's a strange time to be pregnant, for sure. I think it's always daunting welcoming your first child into the world, but at such a complicated time, it definitely adds both complexity but also some joy because we know that in three months, there's going to be a new member of our family. And even with the backdrop of everything else that's going on, that's pretty exciting. That's extraordinary. It's undoubtedly a complicated time to have a baby in utero. I can verify that having a few babies ex-utero <laughs> who are now out of, out of the womb and running around our house, also that has its own yeah. uh, complications, but not as complicated. <laughs> you mentioned in our email exchange 
that you've been hearing from so many people who are craving joy and hope right now, what have you been telling them? I think the first thing that it's really important for people to recognize right now is that happiness and joy are different things. So uh, just to give a quick definition, happiness is a broad evaluation of how we feel about our lives over Mm -hmm. time. And so it involves lots of factors, how we feel about our health, our work, our connection to other people, whether we feel like we have meaning and purpose in our lives. And all of those things are things that are challenged right now, right? So it's natural that we wouldn't be happy in a difficult Mm -hmm. moment like this. But Joy is much simpler and more immediate. So the way that psychologists define joy is as an intense momentary experience of positive emotion. And I think it's important to recognize that we can still access those moments of joy even in difficult times. So I think that's the first thing is to recognize that joy is still available to us and It's not something that we need to be happy to find it, that we can actually acknowledge the profound weight and gravity of this moment and this situation. And we can feel the depths and intensity of our sadness and Mm -hmm. our anxiety and frustration in this moment and still find those small moments of joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this, this reminds me of a wonderful passage that you shared on your Instagram feed where you wrote, the thing about joy is that to truly feel it, to get it deep in our bones, we have to allow ourselves space to feel the sadness too. I love that. It adds a layer of complexity to the sort of celebration of joy that's at the core of your work. I think I think that's right. And I think that we we tend to see joy and sadness as opposed, but recognizing that I think what's really opposed to our ability to feel joy is numbness. And when we allow ourselves to become numb because we're scared to feel the depths of our sadness or our loss or our longing or whatever that is, we lose the capacity to feel joy as well. We move into a state of detachment. And I think joy is a state of deep engagement and interest in the world. That's that's so interesting. I haven't heard it phrased that way, that, that numbness is sort of the antithesis of joy, not sadness, and that the capacity to be receptive to emotion is something we exercise in both directions effectively. I think so. You don't get to pick one or the other. I think you need both. And in a time like this, it struck me that this whole idea that there's a single optimal state of mind is perhaps a mistake, that what we really want in life is cycles of states, right? That we want to experience adrenaline, high stakes, purposeful work, but we also then need relaxation, release. There's a lather, rinse, repeat kind of set of cycles. I think cycles is a great way to think about it. I often think about it in terms of ocean waves and recognizing that we need to ride those waves. We need to recognize that There are going to be times to push and times to rest. There are going to be times to savor and soak in all of the joy that's around us. And there are going to be times when it's more scarce and we have to acknowledge the the sadness of what we're losing and what we're missing, but also recognizing that the time between those doesn't have to be massive, that we can have 
many cycles within the course of a day, and that even in difficult times, we don't need to postpone joy, that we can actually access it in these difficult moments. And that, in Mm -hmm. fact, Mm -hmm. research shows that when we allow ourselves small moments of joy in times of struggle or crisis, it helps us be more resilient over the long haul. So there's research that shows these tiny moments of joy or gratitude, small moments of positivity in a crisis can help reset Mm -hmm. the cardiovascular response to stress. And then there is also research that shows that when people allow those moments of joy into a moment of crisis, that it actually helps enable what psychologists call more adaptive coping mechanisms. So we we find more meaning in tragic events and we end up more likely to grow from the experience than we would if we just tried to push through. And so I think sometimes I see people really struggle to feel entitled to feel joy in these moments Mm -hmm. or to feel that it's appropriate to feel joy in these moments. And I think recognizing that it's a part of our resilience can be a way to give ourselves permission to play a game or do something frivolous or silly for a few minutes and not feel that every moment has to be consumed with the weight. That makes a lot of sense, right? That we have this sense that we should compartmentalize and that now is the time when we are somber, but giving ourselves permission to ventilate our experience with light moments. And this actually, you know, Ingrid, the, the, this whole notion of the aesthetics of joy, I love this phrase. I think it's a phrase that you coined. I'm sure one sort of response that you've fought to some degree or, or, or responded to is the idea that that sounds frivolous, right? That thinking about what we hang on the wall next to our desk or these little aesthetic decisions is, uh, is sort of meaningful and important in life. At first glance, that seems to be sort of focused on the physical things and the material rather than things that matter. But you would disagree with that. Absolutely. I think it's certainly something I've heard. It's something I've pushed against. I think we often tend to see the the physical world, the material world as trivial, as incidental to our happiness and well-being. But recognizing that so many of our small moments of joy come from interactions with the physical world, whether that's right now as the trees are beginning to bud again and we're starting to feel Mm. this resurgence of spring around us or just a, a moment of the way that the light comes through into your home. I mean, there's so many small moments that come in to our awareness through our senses. And I think that's the shift for me is recognizing that we think about aesthetics as color, light, pattern, texture. These things are decorative. But in fact, they are shaping our sensory experience. And our sensory experience of the world is a huge part of our experience of the world. It's the foundation of our experience of the world. And if we can find joy in those ways, why wouldn't we take advantage of it? Why wouldn't we allow ourselves that? Because I think it sets the backdrop for so many of the other things that are important to us in the world. You have this wonderful Instagram feed of, of joy spotting and encourage this practice of joy spotting, of discovering you know, things that trigger joy in the outside world. Of course, we're now 
most of us are confined in a much smaller space right now. Do you think, can we joy spot from home? The way that I think about joy spotting now is as a kind of mindfulness practice that specifically focuses on tuning your attention to the joy in your surroundings. And that you can do anywhere. I mean, you can go joy spotting in your closet and find something joyful to wear for your next Zoom call. Um, I think what one thing that has been interesting about this time has been the greater intimacy that we all are finding with our homes. Our homes are now our offices. There are gyms. There are restaurants. Everything is in the home now. Sure, and sure. so we are, we are discovering this new intimacy. As we spend so much time at home, I think we're noticing the small details, both the things that drive us crazy and the things that bring us joy. I think there are lots of things that we take for granted as backdrop in our homes that can be joyful if we tune our attention to them. Well, and, and so when you think about these the different categories of ways that we can employ the aesthetics of joy in our own lives, how in, in this quarantine environment that we're all in, how would you recommend doing that? How, how do you think we can employ those different techniques? I think that one of the things that you can do physically in your home is to move some things around. So just start to bring a little freshness in. Maybe that's switching art pieces from one space to another or moving throw pillows or blankets, but just creating a little bit of motion through the home so that things don't feel so static. Play, inviting play back into your home. Um, a lot of us are glued to the news, spending a lot of time stress scrolling. And I think taking a break to play a game, just doing something playful. One of the things that has been an unexpected joy in our home has been the introduction of a, a large yoga ball. Um, oh. We ordered this because my doula suggested it for labor, but I got this giant pink exercise ball and... I can't work on it because it's not the right height to sit on, but I take breaks on it and I just bounce. And it is one of the most joyful things <laughs> to have this giant ball in the middle of our living room. It's not something that feels like it necessarily belongs with our decor, but it definitely brings a lot of joy and play to the space. So that's another thing. So motion, play. If you can bring any greenery into your space, if you mm. have a way to do that, um, that may be you know, going out and cutting branches if you live in a more rural area, if you live in a city and you are able to afford you know, cut flowers as part of your one trip out for groceries, just having some greenery around you can really soften the hard edges of of a space and bring some of the mm -hmm. benefits of nature, which can be profound into your space. You can also do that through scent and through sound. Sounds like birdsong, I think, are a great soundtrack for these kinds of times. They're, they're calming in a very unconscious way. They set our minds at ease because they create this sense of safety. If the birds are singing, then things must be relatively safe. Um, so that can be another way to bring joy into your space. And how about creating a sensory landscape? I, I love that phrase. Right. So when I was thinking about working from home, one of the 
benefits that I see is that many offices are actually really poorly designed for our well-being, and they actually don't have a lot of the things that make us feel good. And so there's really interesting research that shows that when people are working in so-called lean work environments, which are very minimalist, the kind of gray cubes that many of us are familiar with, compared with people working in enriched environments, which have art and plants and a bit more stimulation, that we're actually 15% more productive in the enriched environments. And so this is really striking to me because I think the way that offices are designed is they're designed to minimize distraction. And yet it's not environmental distraction that takes us out of our work. In fact, there is a monotony that kind of lulls us into a stupor if we spend too much time just staring at our computers and not stimulating our other senses. We have all these other senses that are not engaged while we're working. We have these remarkably sensitive fingertips that can sense the width of a human hair in terms of the difference in materials, our hearing, um, our kinesthetic senses, our sense of smell, all of these senses are just idle while we're working. And so it's no wonder that they get a little bit bored. And so I think when you're working from home, if you have the ability to start to create more of a sensory landscape for yourself, mm-hmm. it, it, it doesn't actually distract you from your work, it actually can help keep you engaged. And I think, and this is purely conjecture on my part, that it can keep you um, from running to the fridge for snacks all the time. Because I think that sometimes what we're craving is not necessarily food, but sensorial stimulation. So if we can give ourselves a little bit more stimulation, I think it can help keep our minds and our bodies satiated while we're trying to get things done. And so we create this sensory landscape by introducing what smells, sights, uh, plants. Yeah, absolutely. So things to look at in your distance vision. So give your eye somewhere else to focus when you take breaks, you know, from looking at your screen. So have something that's a little bit further out to focus on. Um, That can be helpful. Scents, if you have essential oils that you like or a scented candle. Um, Sounds, I think, are another, you know, ambient sounds that sound good to you. Textures, things to sit on. You know, I cover my chair while I'm working with a sheepskin because it's soft. Um, So just thinking about what do your senses want to be exposed to and giving yourself a little bit of that, which is something that may be more challenging in a traditional office. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee quite simply isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm DC Marshall. Hi, I'm Mita Malik. We are the co-host of the Brown Table Talk podcast, where we discuss how to help women of color thrive in their workplaces. And we invite allies to join us to help women of color win at work. We have a seat waiting for you. Subscribe to Brown Table Talk wherever you enjoy podcasts.
This episode of The Next Big Idea is brought to you by The Next Big Idea Club. That's right, we're not just a podcast, we're a community of readers and writers curating the best new nonfiction books and distilling them down to the key insights in video, audio, and text. I started the club two years ago with some of my favorite writers, Susan Cain, Malcolm Gladwell, Adam Grant, and Daniel Pink, with the goal of making it easier for people to access life-changing ideas. Today, with the world in crisis, that goal feels more urgent than ever. We're going to work each day with a greater sense of purpose than ever before. Your health, your relationships, your work all depend on getting the right ideas at the right time. And we're here to help you access those ideas from the safety of your home. In recognition of the tough economic times so many are facing, we've decided to offer three months of the club absolutely free. Join us now and you'll get access to key insights from the most important new books, in-depth masterclasses from leading thinkers, and the chance to interact live with best-selling authors in exclusive forums. To check out everything we have to offer for three months at no charge, just go to nextbigideaclub.com slash podcast. That's nextbigideaclub.com slash podcast. Ingrid, you also write about the importance of nature, of walking in nature. And I found that pairing listening to books or, or podcasts with taking a walk in nature is a great kind of peanut butter and jelly, you know, two for the cost of one experience. I listen to podcasts when I walk as well. And I think if you if you have the ability to get out into nature now, it's a good time. We know that nature reduces stress, anxiety, depression. It also reduces our tendency to ruminate or brood over problems. So it does this by quieting a part of the brain called the subgenual prefrontal cortex, which is basically that part that tends to turn worries over and over and over again. So if you find yourself locked in that kind of thought loop and you can get out to nature, now would be a really good time to do that. Um, if you can't get to nature again, any ways that you can bring the outside in, whether that's through mm -hmm. sound, through scent, or through greenery, can have some of the same effects. You know, I, I'm reminded in this time of your wonderful observation that our conventional wisdom is that peace and joy are states of mind that, that should emanate from within. That basically, if we do the right things, if we recite the right mantras, or look ourselves in the mirror in the morning and, and, and blow a kiss or, or whatever it is, that we will then radiate joy. And if we don't, that it's some kind of personal failure. And what I find so fascinating about your work is that you're saying, no, that, that pressure that you feel to do this on your own, that, that's a mistaken understanding of how emotion works. Yes, I think that's right. I think um, if it were a test, if we were supposed to be able to conjure this up from out of nowhere, then I think most of us would be failing right now. And exactly, what a terrible thing to feel like we can't pick ourselves up. We can't buoy ourselves. Um, we can't necessarily just turn on the positive vibes. I think it's a mistake to feel like we have to always find the silver lining or look on the bright side or always just be able to stay in this happy state and that's on us to be able to get there. I think in reality, it's important to understand that our emotions evolved 
as response mechanisms. They evolved to help us respond to circumstances in the world around us. And so it makes sense that we would be feeling more anxiety, more sadness. We would be feeling more of these emotions right now because they're helping us cope. They're helping us take this seriously. They're helping us move through and come to a new understanding of what our lives are going to be like after this and what kinds of behavior changes we need to make to thrive in this new world. But recognizing, too, that there will be a life after this. We can look to that and we can start to savor and capture these little joys and these little gratitudes that we have right now and that those are the building blocks, those are the seeds Mm -hmm. of what we will build next. So don't discount the small joys. I like that. They may be all we have right now, and that's okay. If if the small joys are, you know, whatever snack you have this afternoon, that's a worthwhile joy. And if that is something that's elevating you right now, hold on to that. In my case, I've taken the move of combining two different Apple Watch straps, one of which is red and one of which is yellow which is it's a little a little surprising pop. I like it. A little surprising pop. That's all you need right now. But but I think with joy it's actually something that multiplies and so as we are able to find these moments, share these moments, we're able to make more of them. And so it's true that I think this experience is definitely attuning us to the power of small joys. I mean, I think about how much I would take for granted just going to a mm-hmm. cafe to get a a cup of tea and how in- uh. unbelievably delightful that sounds <laughs> yeah. now to just the luxury of just walking down the street to a cafe and, and picking up a tea and having a conversation with the man behind the counter. And all of those things seem like such acute pleasures. I think that's true. At the same time, I think... We can cultivate that awareness even when joy is abundant. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that may be the legacy for us, is remembering to cultivate that awareness as opposed to feeling that we need periods of deprivation to help us understand how good we really have it. Well, I'd like to make a commitment right now, Ingrid, with you, that when this is over, when we waltz down the street and sit in the cafe and have have a cup of tea, that I will wear colorful clothing every day for a month. I love <laughs> so, that commitment. As a sartorial celebration. I think maybe we can maybe we can rally people, right, to, to, to bring more color into the world. I love it. Well, Ingrid, best of luck with the pregnancy and, and in navigating this time. And uh, just talking with you about it gives me joy. It's been giving me joy too. So thank you. Thanks again to Ingrid Fatelli for joining us today. You can check out her website, The Aesthetics of Joy, by following the link in our show notes. Next week, I'll be speaking with Daniel Pink. He's the author of many books, including Drive, a brilliant study of what motivates us. And he's going to talk to us about staying focused and productive in these trying, distracted times. 
If you've been tempted to join the Next Big Idea Club, there has never been a better time. We're all stuck inside. This epidemic has put things in perspective for many of us. It's a perfect time to discuss life-changing ideas with the world's leading thinkers and a growing community of curious people like you. Join me, Ingrid Vitelli, and many of the other authors featured on this podcast at nextbigideaclub.com. We're offering a free digital membership, including access to our e-courses and community for three months. Just go to nextbigideaclub.com slash podcast and get three free months. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find the episode notes, including some details you may have missed. One final note, I would like to thank Mark and Blythe for lending me the use of their sunroom in Sag Harbor, New York, which I'm using as a recording studio right now. With its cushy couch, Slim Aaron's photos, and hanging wicker chair, I apologize for eating the jar of peanuts I couldn't resist. I'm your host, Rufus Griscom. Sound designed by Jake Gorski. Caleb Bissinger is our associate producer. Our series producer is Michael Kovnat. Executive producers are Stephanie Jens, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondering. 